welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike Weiss. Joining me, of course, is the rookie, Mr. Chris Dashu. How do you guys feel about nuclear energy? I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable. And also transferring over from the ninth precinct is Mr. Richard Hannum. That's right, Bon. You guys are going to have old Captain Luger to push around for a little while longer. I don't know. That wasn't a very good Luger. I I tried. We are talking about four episodes of the original Barney Miller show from season six, episodes 16, 17, 18, and 19. We're talking about guns, 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 guns. We're talking about uniform days, Dietrich's arrest part one and Dietrich's arrest part two. Oh, we are, we're, we're missing some dates here, man. Guns aired January 31st, 1980. Yeah. Then we move over to February 7th, 1980. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's good. Oh, and then we jump a week to Dietrich's arrest for February 28th, 1980. And then Dietrich's arrest part two, the next week, March 28th. But yeah, we're missing the, the 14th and it feels like, yeah, I guess that's it. Just one week was missing there, but, uh. Yeah, since uh, Dietrich's Arrest is a two-parter, we figured we'd talk about that both together rather than breaking that up into our next episode. So, guns. We are, uh, we're not talking about gun control at all, even though maybe we should be. Is that the brave statement to make, or I'm not sure? But Chris, what did you, you think are, about uh, guns? <laughs> how you, First off, Mike, how brave. How brave I know, you. right? We're so, you're so Imagine there's no... <laughs> it's easy if you try oh gil Godot. do you know how gil Godot? she was never high in my book but man she's like rock bottom after that stunt yeah she uh boy it's it's just imagine heaven without those people because i don't like to imagine i don't even remember who else did that but just gil Godot's (laughs) face in my face during the pandemic i just wanted to yeah (laughs) Well, uh, if we're going to talk about guns, we're going to talk. Let's about, talk about guns. Let's talk about guns in this episode. Um, I think it's interesting because, yeah, it, it, this was not on a very special episode of Barney Miller. This was no. on a very fucked up episode of Barney Miller. Uh, it's an interesting episode. I think it has one of the best visual gags in the entire run of the show so far, which is Wojohoet no, pointing a bazooka at <laughs> Barney, going, "Hey, Barney, about that race." Which is that should be in the opening credits. It should. And that's what I was gonna say. Like, oh, with this kung fu bullshit we saw for like the first four seasons, that is without a doubt one of the funniest visual gags. And the fact that I don't know if Bart if, how Lyndon was expecting it, but it seems like they also got a genuine reaction out of it. Best I can tell. Uh, I think this is a fun episode. It is a strange episode theme-wise, but I like where it ends up going. It it kind of uh, subverted my expectations, especially with the title alone. Richard, what was your thoughts on guns? Yeah, I liked it too. I, you know, you can't, I'm not surprised they didn't do a straightforward gun control episode. It's a cop show. It was, yeah, I mean, I've never look, seen them shoot anyone that they've been, but like people have been shot They're they're You know, people have held a gun on other people in the show. Right. So it's like there, 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 there's guns in the show. So for them to suddenly do a show about, Ooh, you know, gun laws or something, it's sort of like you could, but this was more, this touched on it in, in an interesting way. And it, and it, it's not like the, um, you know, the character, um, uh, whose, <laughs> whose name I forget, but the guy who's almost like a vigilante. Oh, you know? like Stanley Brock. Yeah. 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 That, that guy where he's constantly talking about, you know, you, you, you we got to, you know, 
we got to keep ourselves safe. And he, he sort of butts heads with Barney. Anyway, what, what's happening here is a guy, a young David Paymer, who is awesome. Oh, yeah. I didn't even recognize him at first. It's like I knew I knew him, but I'm like, oh, wait a second. That can't be. And then I looked it up and I was like, damn it. It's David Paymer, who's clearly been working steadily for 45 years. All right. So he comes in. And the gag is that he was holding up a store, but using a very old, old gun, like an antique dueling pistol. Now, part part of what this episode is about is that Luger has sort of been, I don't know, I didn't see the previous episode. Has he, has he been busted down to captain or something? Like, mm-hmm. what happened to him? Sure has. Something. Busted down to captain. Busted down to captain. Okay, the show great. did a good enough job letting you know without having to spend half the episode on it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No and I need had for a vague, vague recollection of it. And none of the guys want to work with him because he's just too annoying to be around. So they're they're sort of cycling him around. You know, first you work with Wojo today, Dietrich tomorrow, Harris the day after. Oh, you're just pushing. Just, you know, like the old uncle who no one wants to be with. You just keep putting me with different people in different places. I understand, Barn. I understand. But anyway, he disarms the guy in a really, what sounds like kind of a badass way. Wojo later tells us it wasn't so much badass as it was quasi-suicidal. I'm yeah. worried about Luger. Very which is interesting. reckless. Yeah. Yeah. I love when he, <laughs> I love when Wojo's like, I'm worried about, and he like, does the thing where he sticks oh, yeah. two fingers in his mouth like he's going to blow his brains out. And he makes a, you know, sound. Right. Wojo's great, by the way. He's everyone's performance in, in this handful of episodes is pretty, pretty spot on. I mean, these people have been doing these roles for six years now, six seasons. Mm-hmm. And they're very comfortable. Anyway, so you've got, is Luger okay? That's sort of your B story. And I guess the A story is there's a guy who comes in who turns out to be the owner of that gun, and it is revealed that he owns tons of weapons. This is just his hobby, apparently. Legal and illegal. Yes. Exactly. And some of them is like- a bazooka, a submachine gun. (laughs) Who knows how many grenades this guy had? Right. A rocket launcher. Well, it turns out he was robbed, but didn't report any of it because some of these were illegal. And now they're all on the streets and people are suddenly using them like very, like it's all happening today. <laughs> Everyone's using this weird array of guns to commit crimes. And, uh, and this guy's just really into it. And what's cool about it is he does sort of express the second amendment, uh, person's personality, which is. I just fetish these things and I fetish them because they have something to do with America. America's about guns. America's about weapons throughout its history. And I'm obsessed with it. And so I want them. And now you don't get the feeling this is a guy who, you know, goes out and shoots a lot of guns. He just likes having them. There's just some weird quasi sexual thrill he gets out of owning a, you know, a, you know, a, 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 sort of shoulder resting rocket launcher thing these giant phallic things that wojo walks around with he seems to like it too when he aims it at 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 barney he seems to be having a great time well we keep talking around this the guy who owns all these guns is none other than jack dodson who is one of my favorite character actors i just i loved him as howard on uh the andy griffith show but his 
apparently uh, he only did this role three times, but he made quite an impression. He was Ralph Malf's dad on Happy Days. Speaking of Happy Days from our Rankin and Bass chat recently. Oh, wow. I forgot that. Yeah. Like he's one of those guys that if you're our age, maybe a little younger, you're like, oh yeah, that guy. His turn as Howard in Andy Griffith was just terrific. I loved him. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. And he's a classic Barney Miller type of person to wander through the 12th precinct. And that he's so, he's soft-spoken. So when he's talking about these guns and things, you're just like, this guy, this guy's the gun nut. You would think like the Stanley Brock type character is like really into guns, but this guy, he's just so quiet and peaceful. And I guess we're forgetting the other story, which is the, the, I guess it's really the, the C story, which is the guy whose TV was stolen. Uh, I think this is Madison Arnold as Joseph Osborne, his TV was stolen and he goes and breaks into the impound. And I thought that's where all the guns were coming from was from this break in at the impound, but no. It's just this guy breaking in and stealing back what he thinks is his own television, only to find out that it wasn't his own television. And so so then Dietrich brings in his own television and says, oh, yeah, sorry. Now we have to keep this as evidence as to your break in. So you can't get your TV back. Yeah, it's pretty great. I thought that, too. I thought somehow it was like, oh, the evidence locker has been raided and all these guns have disappeared. But that's not what it turned out to be. So it's interesting. I will tell you that I'm currently teaching at UCLA and you guys know this. I do this about once a year. I'll do a class and it's almost always in the fall and it's just a, it's part of their writer's program extension. So it's 10 Wednesday nights and my class right now, the students are great. I mean, this is like the best class I've ever had. These people are smart and they're on it and they know stuff and they actually know some TV history, but Barney Miller came up in class. Um, last week and I was talking about it and I'm like, how many of you have seen Barney Miller? No hands go up. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, it was this show. It was the seventies shabby police department. You know, it's just a bunch of middle-aged guys talking. And then one guy's like, oh wait, I've seen that. I know what you're talking about now. I saw it. I watched it. I, I watched the pilot and then he just says boring. Oh, and I, yeah, my soul was pierced. And then I'm like, I, I know what you're saying. When you're saying boring, you're saying what we like about the show, which is it's charming and it's not overblown Mm -hmm. and it has to do with characters and you have to, you know, with every episode you watch, it makes the next episode funnier because you've lived a little longer with those characters and you've spent a bit more time with them and you know them a bit more. So by the time sixth season rolls around, you, they really are part of your family. Watching these episodes just reminded me of that. It's just like, it's like I could show the class this episode, but then I'd have to explain, okay, look, Harris is a particular way. Rojo has a relationship with Barney that is unique. You know, Levitt, how do I explain Levitt? And it occurred to me that even though you, it's not serialized in any way, really, this is a show that rewards repeated viewing in terms of getting to know these characters better. And then you can have a very little episode with Dietrich where he kind of is fucking with this guy about how he can't have his TV back. And it is hilarious because we know Steve Landisberg. We know Dietrich. We know that he knows he's, he's just, just digging the knife in deeper for Mm -hmm. this guy, but he plays it off just 
Don't worry about it. Okay, sign here. All right. Yeah, don't worry about it. We got your TV. Yeah, you'll get it back one day. All right, goodbye. Get out. And it's delightful. I appreciate it quite a bit. In the next episode, um, Uniform Days, it's got some great Dietrich stuff in there as well, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. Like this run of four episodes, very Dietrich-centric. Of course, you know, the next two, Dietrich's Arrest, are based around him. But I wasn't sure where we were going to go with Uniform Days. Just it's this annual thing where they all have to have to dress in their dress blues, I guess. And I love how Levitt reacts to seeing Barney in his captain's uniform that he's like barking out like, yes, sir. <laughs> it triggers some sort of full metal jacket. Kind yes. of style. <laughs> you find Levitt in the bathroom late at night. <laughs> Going full yeah. Gomer pile. You were talking about uh, Wojo and his acting is great in this too, especially when he uh, Levitt kind of squares off against him and Levitt does that like foot lift thing that he does to make himself look taller. And then Wojo makes this great goofy face and does the foot thing back to him. And I was just like, all right, this is nice. I like how Max Gale, it, he just, yeah, he controls this role. He, he owns this role so well. And to your point, I think all of these guys are just spot on in this and the real conflict of this episode is that Harris won't wear the uniform. And then I do like that. He turns around at the end is talking about how stylish she feels in it. Well, it's so great because it's not, um, it's not like in the episode where he is mistaken for the criminal, right? When he's responding to a crime and it gets very serious and everyone is sort of like, no, we get it. This is, this is more about I'm detective Harris and I'm kind of being a dick. I'm kind of full of myself. And it oh, ha- yeah. and again, you know, it's not a super serialized show, but you know when they are referring to Bob, and I know that means blood on the badge, mm-hmm. and I know that blood on the badge is his book, and I know that that storyline has been going on for a couple seasons. But again, I'm like, because in the back of my mind, I'm like, I got to show an episode to my class. I got to prove to them how great this show is. And I'm watching this and I'm like, well, this is pretty in the weeds though. This is this is the culmination of a lot of Harris's character Mm -hmm. traits. And what I've, what personally, I got to tell you in this up in the episode uniform days, where the one day a year where they've got to prove readiness by wearing their uniforms in case something ever happened, some sort of civil disturbance and all the cops had to put on a uniform. You got to prove you've got it. It's complete. You know, it, it, you know, it fits, it works. You could be a, what looks to everyone else as a cop. So when Barney gets angry at him, I, I got to admit I'm team Barney because Barney is basically saying, look, I'm glad you wrote a book and you're making money or your movie deal, blah, blah, blah. But your job here has to be number one. It's the kind of job that demands that you can't be one foot in one foot out. This can't be this other thing that you do. If, if you're going to go be a writer, great. Then you got to go do that. But being a cop isn't a thing you can do halfway. The last time I saw two characters having this conversation was uh, James Gandolfini and Michael Imperioli. Mm-hmm. And the first right. uh, episode of The Sopranos where they have a very similar conversation. It's like either you're here or don't fucking be here at all. Don't mm-hmm. bother. Yeah. And it, it, it is hard to side with Harris as a character in this episode. I mean, I get yeah. it. I get it. Because part of me is that has that same like fuck the authority thing, but dude, you're also the authority. So like, yeah. it's like you you know what you're doing. 
You're just trying to prove a point. And I don't, I mean, again, I think what this episode does more than anything else is make it very clear that Barney and Harris are never going to be friends, at least not in the way that they were before this happened. And that's reflected in the next two episodes because I think after this episode, their relationship has become very strained, primarily because, again, neither one of them is going to back down from the things that they said and believe in, nor should they have to, frankly, which I think is not a bad thing. It's just a very interesting decision. Well, it's funny because I see a lot of those themes playing off in the next two episodes, too, with the way that Dietrich is basically not he's breaking the 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 law or the rules by going to this protest we'll get there obviously but it's funny because it's very much like bucking against the system and how do you how does the system react to you right and how does it stifle one's own ability to be one's self within the system again the system doesn't owe you anything system doesn't owe you any creative expression it just doesn't but when you get it you feel like you need to fight for it because the amount that you're given is is so little that it you know they know you know they could take it away more or less immediately harris of say two years ago maybe three years ago just would be fighting this because it's crimping his style right that he doesn't want to wear a uniform because it doesn't make him look good And he is very proud of the way that he dresses. By this time, though, he has moved into this world that you were talking about, Richard, where it's like, I wrote this, this move, this book might be turned into a movie. I've got all these stocks and all this kind of stuff. And he now has gone from just the well-dressed person to the person that thinks that they're better than other folks. I mean, he, he doesn't necessarily ever throw that in anybody's face, but in this one, I think he gets as close to that as he ever will. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that, okay, so this is a workplace comedy and, and it doesn't like to a certain extent, the Mary Tyler Moore show was a workplace comedy also, even Mm -hmm. though there were, there were other things going on. And yeah, you visited and was, her actual apartment. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> you yeah saw yeah, the exactly, world outside yeah. of the newsroom. But yeah, here we saw right. Barney's apartment once. We never will see it again. Right. That got phased out. This didn't necessarily become a family comedy, but I, I, I think you're so correct that in these four episodes, if you just look at these four, there's growing pains with Harris, with Dietrich. And Barney, of course, is the de facto father figure. Um, I mean, even if you you could even look, if, you, if we all had to write a college paper about these four episodes, you'd even go back to Luger as the, as the uncle that no one is quite comfortable with. And everyone is, people are getting a little tight in the, in, in these episodes. People are not feeling a ton of elbow room. It's like, we're I'm getting cramped by Luger's presence. I'm getting cramped by what, what my outside opportunities are offering me compared to what my day job is requiring of me. I'm constrained by a rule that doesn't allow me to express my political feelings, but we're at a point where people are expressing their political feelings. It's funny. And this is 1980. Okay. So what's happening? Carter's still president, but Reagan's running, right? Oh yeah. So this is the year. It's morning in America, baby. Yeah. And, and people, you know, we, the, the Iran hostages and the energy crisis and all the stuff that's been played for laughs is now a little bit. And again, it's, it's, we're six seasons in Nick is gone. Fish is gone. And it's kind of like, well, so this is our family. Now these are the guys, this is the show. 
it what's funny is you same. mentioned fish being gone fish is the only character that is mentioned as gone we had this conversation in the last episode it's never actually made clear where nick is the, the, it, that's so funny you're so correct because they do an entire episode where they talk about the actor mm-hmm. right the actor has passed away and it's like look we did this show with this actor and he was part of our acting family and we loved him then they come right back to the show and it's unclear and there's a there's a joke later on that that is a pure setup for nick and again I, i'm sorry for jumping ahead in episodes but i just want to I'll, I'll make the point that there is a cooler filled with possibly radioactive oh, water. Yes. And someone makes the joke that, well, you can use it to make coffee. And I'm like, oh my God, if only Nick were here, we'd get the joke. Did you guys catch that? Yeah. Oh, I totally got it. what it was it. for. Yeah. 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 And I was waiting. Yeah. It would have Couldn't been make it like, any worse. Like, yeah. You know. Or like Nick being like, oh, you had some water over here. I used that or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then spit take. Right. Yeah, uses it just by accident anyways. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Nick, did you do something different to this coffee? This tastes really good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, don't ask, Bon. Don't ask. <laughs> you, like, but it would you but you're right. It would have been a perfect time to go, yeah, that's uh yeah, if Nick were here, he'd you know, he'd you know, he'd go ahead and do it. You know, you could everyone watching the show felt Nick's ghost in that mm-hmm. <laughs> in that setup. Anyway. Um yeah, so it, it, it's here's here's why I feel that Harris is out of line because yeah, not only you know I don't think being a cop is the kind of job you can sort of do on the side uh, if you're carrying a weapon and you're actually out physically doing that job. Um, but the personal digs he takes at Barney, that man's his boss. Yeah, you you don't do that. Like in other shows, it would be like I think I have to fire you. There's an episode of The Office where even Michael Scott has to has to face another character, Stanley, and sort of go, your insubordination, like, I may be an idiot, but I'm still your boss. You can't talk to me that way, especially in front of other people, or I'm going to have to fire you. And the fact that that never even comes up is really interesting. It's just personal. It's like, you said something that pissed me off. Barney never says that's insubordination. You you said things to me of an insulting nature that I could fire you for. And they never get there. So that's what makes it feel like this is a family dispute. And mm-hmm. Chris is right. It's like we may be a little uncomfortable for a few episodes. The the side characters in this are fantastic. I mean, <laughs> I think we all love Stuart Penkin. His proto Newman character here, uh, the guy who doesn't <laughs> deliver the mail is terrific uh what's the guy's name leonard stone um i think that's is that that's not what like you're turning pilot it is is. that's the moment he walked in i I went i couldn't remember yeah i couldn't remember if it was him or okay yeah it's the guy who doesn't want to give veruca bean feast as her dad right right okay yeah so yeah him him showing up as the the supervisor and just like He's fantastic. I love him. And then it's odd because like the other story, so there's that, there's that one going on. There's Dietrich doing hardcore detective work to track down this guy on the eve of the uh, 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 statute of limitations expiring. And just like, oh, I, I just started looking for you last Tuesday. And this guy's been in hiding for like 20 years or something. Just, 
making potholders. And when he gets stuck in the cell with Hankins mailman and just won't stop talking about potholders. Oh, it's so good. And then there's the other story, which is the guy who won the million dollars from the lottery, right? Or no, am I jumping ahead with that one? You're jumping, You're ahead. jumping ahead. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, okay. So yeah, he's, it's just uh, Pankin in the cage with the potholder guy. I I love that. I love it. It's so great. And and it, it you know uh, Barney makes the uh, Jean Valjean you know yes. Les Rob retreats. <laughs> I love it. It's and so Dietrich's funny. having none of it. <laughs> he, Dietrich is like, wait, what? Like Dietrich is like weirdly like, yeah, I'm gonna get this guy. Yeah, dog is weak. Investigator, yeah. Where did this come from? Yeah, it's like a a season ago, two seasons ago, he would have been like, I don't care. I'm just here. You know, I'm just a guy observing police work. And now suddenly, a guy, you say? (laughs) What? Chris's uh, theory that Dietrich is an alien. Yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, he is. I mean, the show has made that more or less clear to us multiple times. Well, you know what? And maybe, maybe this actually is in character that he suddenly decides almost, you know, a, a, on a lark, I'm actually going to do the job this week. That's why I thought and it was so funny. It's like, I'm just going to fucking yeah. do it. Then, then he does. <laughs> and he does. And then he does. He does. And then, and then, and, and, and as you said, Mike, this guy has basically imprisoned himself. Yes. For, convinced that there is a 24 hour you know, patrol searching for him for seven years. Yes. And uh, he's like, no, will not stop. Dietrich says, no, I started on Tuesday afternoon. (laughs) The guy just keeps going for years. They were looking for me for years. No, man. Yeah. I mean, he might as well have been caught that day. He committed the crime. He's been locked up. (laughs) Hasn't talked to anyone. Hasn't done anything. And is doing a menial task. He might as well have said he was in his apartment breaking rocks and making license plates. Exactly. Yeah. He has served the time or the crime. He served it. They should just let him go. Yeah. I, I like that conflict too. And just the the idea of Barney being like, uh, yeah, because Barney is not never about arresting people. He doesn't want anybody in that that room. He just, you know, oh, let's let's settle this and and move our own ways. And here's Dietrich being the dogged detective. I'm like, who are yeah. you? And it does seem a little like like the crime. I, I forget even what it is. It doesn't sound like it was that big a deal. No, no. Yeah. I mean, with a seven-year statute of limitations, I mean, yeah, probably couldn't yeah. have been that bad. You know, uh, uh, okay, and, and here's a random observation um, of, of all of the episodes. But but it's clearly, and it's something that I've seen a million times, but I haven't really thought about it, but it's those, it's those raking three shots, raking four shots mm-hmm. that they do that are really great where you're getting like four characters kind of stacked, you know, in profile almost like someone with their back to the front door. Then usually the perp is the second person sort of facing Barney, who's the third person kind of facing away from the camera. And then maybe like Wojo or Dietrich or whoever is the other guy sort of closest to camera profile, but everyone is participating in the scene. And I think maybe I thought about it because when I'm looking at this show, if often it feels like I'm watching a play, it's Mm -hmm. like, well, we've got, we're in that room and we're in this room and we're just, we're, it's pretty subtle and it's just performance. And those shots that are, that, that they do in, literally every episode of this show are not easy to stage because everyone's got to be like, okay, you got to be on your mark. 
or you're out of the shot. Oh yeah. And then you, and you've got to be acting even though the camera's sort of over your ear, but you've still got to be in the scene, responding, listening, reacting. Um, and it's just kind of, when you look at it that way, fans of the show, newcomers to the show, look at it and, and just sort of realize that almost never happens in a TV show where you've got four people in kind of a, again, just stacked up and you're raking across them. That's some pretty impressive stuff. And it's just every episode of this show gets that. And it's great. Well, there was a really impressive shot at the beginning of uh, Dietrich's arrest part one, where it's Dietrich and Bernie talking and Dietrich is talking about how he stayed there. He worked a double shift and they're talking about the stubble on his face and he gives us bad Shakespeare quote. And then he walks to his desk and we're following him. And then Levitt opens up the door and then we follow Levitt. And this is all one take. We've got Dietrich and Barney in a two shot. Then we follow Dietrich out. Dietrich just goes off screen. Levitt comes in. The camera picks him up, moves him over to Barney. They have a conversation and then the camera keeps no cuts moves over as Levitt is starting to leave. And then Dietrich enters right in and it becomes another two shot of those two. And I'm like, then they start to cut after that. But that is one hell of a shot to just, you know, this is just a sitcom from 1980 and we're just going to have these three, two shots that are all perfectly set up all in one camera move. I love that. I did not notice that. Now I want to go back and watch it. Um, I think all four of these are Noam Pitlick episodes. Oh yeah. This whole season this whole is whole season Pitlick. is, yeah. Yeah. And again, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll reiterate that Noam Pitlick, you know, part of the show from day one. I mean, you're watching everyone at the top of their game. Everyone comes in, knows the game, knows everyone's moves, knows what to do. The, you know, the, the, the fact that, that people are, I mean, I think they're acting out of character, but they're sort of bursting at the seams a little bit of their characters can, can be absorbed in the show. And I think, I, I think this is Otto Bruno's least favorite season. I think he's talked about that. Really? I thought it was his most favorite season. I thought he was, I thought he had a complaint about six huh. that, it, that wow. it seemed like, because it was the season that Danny Arnold left because right. he was gone for six and seven. Right. And he felt like there were uncharacteristic episodes. And I can see no. that. I like, I, he says that and I, and you can make that argument or you can make the argument of it's uncharacteristic, but, but it's stepping into areas that are interesting and legit and are carried off. Well, I would not say these are not well executed episodes at all. Yeah. Um, I've been really enjoying this season. It's same. been a bunch of bangers for me. Yeah. Same. Yeah. And, and Noam Pitlick directs this entire season and the next season in its entirety. So, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about this show is that it is, it is a show that has been in capable hands, even when the showrunner has to step away. And you I mean, there are plenty of shows that would fall apart were this to happen to it. Yeah. But the lack of a guiding hand looking at you, Dexter, uh, you know, and again, that's more of a narrative based show, less a sitcom, but the idea still remains. The showrunner is a massive part of the show as you know, we have heard and, and obviously Richard has been part of that process as well and could speak more directly to it, but it's pretty clear that the show is in capable hands. Yeah. Cause I I'm with you, Mike, I have enjoyed this season immensely, frankly. Yeah. It just feels more consistent. I would say it, it, I didn't mind switching directors every episode, but maybe just having Pitlet's hand on the tiller the whole time just makes it feel a little bit more cohesive. And 
you know, Richard, you're talking about how the previous episode was uniform days was making all these references to other things. This two-parter, I love the, the moment spoilers when Dietrich gets arrested, thus the title of the episode <laughs> when he is being questioned by Ron and he's like, well, uh, there was that time where you moved in with me and, uh, oh, and there was that time I saved your life. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, all these things that happened between these two characters. And I have to say, I think this might be one of the strongest two parters that I've seen. It doesn't feel like, well, we could have resolved this all in just one episode. I think it would have been wall to wall Dietrich. If that was the case, which, you know, no complaints for that, but I don't think we would have had any B or C stories at all had this been all crammed into one. And I think having that slight cliffhanger, you know, at the end of the first one, really, there is no cliffhanger. It just feels like two really strong episodes that needed to be told in, a, in this way. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that this, uh, cause we've talked about that before, Chris, as far as like, did this really need to be a two-parter like Wojo's girl or whatever, you know, like that even need to be an episode. Did the, yeah. <laughs> didn't need, didn't need to exist. Yeah. Well, you know, Dietrich is, um, a great character. He's, he's a little bit emotionally aloof. Oh yeah. I um, didn't know he was married either. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm being, you know, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm understating it as compared to like Harris, who, who has episodes where he becomes really angry for, for reasons that we sympathize with. And I think we intellectually sympathize with Dietrich's concern about nuclear power and, and, you know, and then nuclear weapons as an extension of that. Well, yeah, because he knows what happens in the future. In the future, because he's right. a fucking alien. That's right. <laughs> okay. That's I mean, when again, zinc but, becomes our national currency. Yeah. Literally in the last episode, Richard Libertini goes, the Arthur Dietrich. <laughs> I mean, again, if the yes, show is giving us all the information, I'm just going with what the show wants us to pick up on. But That's why I assume he wants the nuclear. That's why I assume he's against nuclear power is because he's an alien. Okay. But, but it's, it's like, okay, look, Harris, if, if there's a racial issue that obviously is extremely personal to him and we see it play out in a way that's respectful and he owns that with Wojo, Vietnam is his sort of thing. And disliking and disliking prostitutes. Right. Right. But they can be sincere in a particular way about a particular subject for a certain amount of time and we buy it. Um, D Dietrich, you know, there's never a big fight between him and any other character where Dietrich has to say, you know, you don't understand why this is so important to me. He can do it. And we get that he is intellectually. It's like, look, I have to do what I have to do. And I'm not complaining and you can arrest me and I'm going to go lock myself in the cage mm -hmm. and I'll take my lumps. But then the seriousness of the subject has to be sort of, uh, uh, shunted off to other characters. So that's in part two, we bring in the guy who works at the nuclear power plant. Uh -huh. And so he becomes the opposing voice, but not even necessarily to Dietrich. It's almost more to Wojo who has read the book, nuclear power license yes. to kill. I love it. And, and Wojo's like, I'm going to get my book. So, so we get all the talk, we get all the debate, which is great, but, but Dietrich is allowed to remain somewhat detached and above it all. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. I love too that there's the running theme of Barney and his, well, he calls it his townhouse or sorry, he calls it his apartment, but every single time 
Harris calls it his condominium, I think. Yeah, yeah. Where, wherever it is he's living. Right, right. But yeah, there's this whole thing because we have had the storyline already of him, his apartment being privatized and he now needs to either buy it or get out. Right. And this whole thing, if he just needs $9,000 to to wrap this up. And then, of course, there's the guy who won the million dollars is one of our B stories, and he's just throwing money everywhere, um, causing riots. And we've got, like, so many riots in this episode. We've got him causing <laughs> riots. We have the riot at the nuclear thing. We've got the riot of the guy sprinkling radioactive water on people. And then we get the last one, which is the guy throwing money again, I think. So... Yeah. And thank God we got we got Candy Azara in this episode. This is prime Candy Azara too. Well, they okay. So so Barney's apartment is going condo. If he wants to remain in it, he has to come up with nine thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Okay. So I went on my phone. I did. I I checked it. That would be the equivalent of uh, thirty five thousand dollars in today's dollars. Yeah. Not not petty cash. Not anything I have in my savings account. That's for sure. Yeah. And you. And again, we know these guys. They've been working the same job. Like, and we know Barney's not making money anywhere else. Harris, of course, is. Okay. Mm-hmm. We got that thirty. And he says, "Hey, can I? You know, can I help?" And Barney says, "You got." You got $9,000, which would be the equivalent of me saying to you, you got 35 grand you want to give me? Now, of course, Harris does have that money. Mm-hmm. And later in the episode says, here's a solution. Why don't I buy, I'll buy your apartment and sublet it to you. And I'll just increase your rent a little bit. Right. And it's right. that thing. <laughs> I'll increase your rent a little bit. Well, there's got to be something in it for me. And oh, yeah. like, you're going to own the place. I'm going to be just paying rent every month. Right. You and get it's the what tax Chris breaks. About. Yeah. You get Chris the appreciation. Is, you know, it's, well, it's like, it's like if we hadn't had the exact argument we had two episodes ago, I might at least pretend to consider this. Right. But I'm not going to have you be my landlord. That's a, that's right. a bridge too far. Mm-hmm. We're not going there. My question is, why is Harris still working at the police station if he's got all this money? Right. Yeah. Like, well, I think a lot of it is in the offing. Oh, it's mm-hmm. like there, there, you know, there's talk of a movie deal. There's right. talk of a sequel. And with, you know, I will say, spoiler alert, this issue gets resolved. Yeah. Th- this issue, a thing happens that makes it clear why Harris continues to work at the precinct, but we won't go any further. <laughs> why well, is as much? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I assumed as much, given that he's on this show until the well, end. Well, oh, I mean, yeah. look, okay. Uh, one argument could be he wrote a book about being a cop. If right. he's going to write a sequel, Needs it's going to be about being a. He can't quit being a cop. Right, right, right. That's his bread and butter. That's his, you know, that's his Hemingway goes bullfighting. You know, that's what he knows. Yeah. Of course, in this episode too, we get the return of Scanlan, and then I didn't realize until it happened. Go ahead, Chris. No, go for it. I want to hear you say it because I didn't realize it either. <laughs> I didn't realize that Scannon and Luger did not know each other. So the introduction of these two guys, and then when they go into Barney's office, and she's like, that's my seat. <laughs> and he doesn't even call him his name right outside of the one time, because I'm pretty sure at one point, James Gregory calls him Lieutenant Scallion. I'm pretty <laughs> sure uh-huh. he calls him. He has to call him Scallion at one that point. Is I'm pretty sure he did. So him. Yeah, that is totally 
Oh, I love it. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. I was like, oh my God, they don't know each other? Like, this is kind of mind-blowing. You would think that they had met on the show, but even without the show, you would think that they would have met, you know, like, not the actors, but the characters, just because they were in the same precinct. Yeah. But I guess Scanlan is internal affairs, right? Which is the whole, I mean, that's why... Luger's making all those faces. The general Like, I don't know what he was doing, but he was making a lot of faces about it. So I don't assume, yeah, like, it's weird. I assumed they knew each other, but apparently they didn't even, they had never even heard of one, apparently. Well, and I love, too, that at one point, I think it's Dietrich says, like, Big Brother might be listening, and Barney repeats that later on. And then Scanlon says, how you doing with that loan? And it's like, what? How do you know about this? And then, like, of course, there's a cleaning woman that's introduced in this episode. And she asks, how about that loan? How's that loan going? I'm just like, holy shit. Everybody knows Barney's business. Like, it makes sense for her to know about it because she cleans out the trash and read that missing chapter of Blood on the Badge, which sounds like it might be a little steamy. Um, But yeah, I was like, how does he know about that unless he is listening in on their conversations? We did have that whole bug episode way back in like season two or something. It's it's totally crazy that um that they suddenly bring in this character because they're working late tonight. Oh, right? thank, you for, never thank you for seen. mentioning this, Richard. Good God. Yes. It, it, and it's sort of like, wait, what? And and it's like on on the one hand, again, she's great. And there's she's, this Yes. You almost feel like, oh, is this going to be, are we, are we going to see her again? No. But she wanders through, she's cleaning up. She knows everyone's business because she's going through their trash. And Harris does this really great little bit of blocking they gave him that, that doesn't even get remarked upon. But when she says something about, oh, I read the first draft. And then while there's dialogue, you see him open his desk drawer, take out the manuscript, look at it, look at her. And then put it back and close the drawer again. Oh, wow. I didn't even notice that. Holy yeah. cow. It's so good. I mean, again, it's like all these deep cuts that 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 reward second viewings and, and repeated knowledge of all the storylines. But anyway, she's great. She's really funny. The, the, the episode ends on her. Right. So it's, uh, you know. She is a it's force fun. of nature, the way she comes in singing and being so loud about everything. And I was like, she runs the risk of being a really annoying character. But yeah, I ended up kind of liking her. I'm hoping we don't get too much more of her, if anything at all, because you never know with characters like this. I don't think, I mean, maybe, but I don't think we do. It does not, if she doesn't turn into Levitt for sure, you know? Yeah. Oh, I just I'm... love the I love the retcon of a character being like, I've been here this whole time. Like, <laughs> what the? It just felt like oh, a weird, yeah. like a weird retcon. Like it was like it felt like uh, when they're like, oh hey, Mike, remember Mike, everybody? It's like the same thing. Is the is the cleaning lady gonna come back? No, but she's there every night. So there you go. Like, right. Yeah. I you could you, in 1980 you could get away with that but oh, it's funny because yeah. they've had other episodes where it's clear the whole episode is about night shift and it's midnight right. and right you know and you never see a cleaning lady you never you know it's like really they never work past five they never yeah. <laughs> so they've right. never met for four years for the majority of the show even even dietrich worked uh double uh the you know the, yeah. the previous episode yeah it should have been they should have known each other oh, Hi, Blanche, you know, right, whatever. Right. They should have yeah. done a thing. I don't know. But well, Mabel, I think, is isn't that what uh 
Yeah, is that it? Hazel. Hazel is what uh, Luger calls her because oh. of the, the famous maid character. Yeah, right, 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 right. So this actress has been in three Bernie Millers. She was in one in season two, two in season six. So we just saw her and this is her last appearance. In fact, this is the last role that she ever played, as far as I know, because she passed away in 1980. Oh, Jesus. So had she okay. been a recurring character, they wouldn't have got too much out of her. All right. Well, in that case, watch this episode and enjoy this woman's possibly last network TV performance. Yeah. And she fucking nails it. Um, th- this is, um, th- this is these two episodes, Dietrich's arrest and being about the subject of nuclear energy primarily is extremely timely. Uh, mm-hmm. China syndrome, which Chris and Susan and I talked about on CultureCast. Oh, earlier so this glad. year like right. so glad that that chris is aware of all this stuff yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah i was awesome. actually like i was really at one point i was like it di- i didn't want to look until the episode was over i was like did this come out before or after and then the second episode they answer that question i was oh, like yeah. okay yeah. god and that it's... horrible movie he says yeah that <laughs> horrible movie. i looked it up it was the previous year so yeah, that way it was the previous spring, and then they were like, "Okay, over the summer." And as they're writing these episodes, they're like, "Okay, let's do let's do our China syndrome." It's very episode. timely, yeah, yeah. Because what happened was, and what we discovered doing Chris's episode of Culture Cast talking about the movie was that China syndrome came out, and I had it backwards. I thought that the Three Mile Island, you know, scare was right before it came out, and so when it came out, everyone flooded the theaters. As it turns out. The movie came out, you know, it, you know, and people sort of knew about nuclear energy and stuff mm-hmm. and there were something on 60 minutes probably, but it was like a month into the movie being in theaters. Holy that shit. Three mile, right? Yeah. Wow. It's, it's I always it's thought nuts. it was like the headlines. Holy shit. No, the order is crazy when you, yeah, when you learn it, it's, it's kind of nuts. Like right so when the movie would have the been best dying, advertising off. that movie ever could have gotten. But Literally, the wow. movie studio must have been going like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Oh this my is the god! I mean, oh, it's terrible. But right. Paramount or whoever is just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it plays all summer. I mean, it becomes the most famous oh, movie yeah. of the year. It's in Oscar nominations, and it's a good movie, but it's not like. And Jack Lemmon is amazing. But you watch it again and you're like, okay, I mean, it's not the Godfather, you know, it's whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That started him down a really bad path though, because he got fired from three mile Island. He started selling real estate and just couldn't (laughs) get it working. Rio Uh, Rancho properties, Rio Rancho. Then he became. Leads were weak. (laughs) He became a very grumpy old man. The leads were weak. You're weak. Hit the bricks. That's, that's yeah. And that's there, but that's, Boy, wouldn't that be something, the extended China syndrome universe? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Marvel's been uh, hinting that they were going to branch into the China syndrome universe, but it oh. just, yeah, Feige fucked it up, so <laughs> he couldn't afford the the rights to it. I do I do like how uh, we bristle at the idea of Barney Miller trying to increase its universe by adding a cleaning lady, and right. it seems very strange <laughs> yes. when they no, do it. No girls, no girls allowed. <laughs> So what's really weird is like I keep they they show the board a couple more times in these two episodes than they normally do, and I was looking for names to see if Wentworth was on there or if Chana was on there. Those names are gone. They oh, don't wow. show up as they don't show up as much as they used to. Which hmm. when they used to go to the board, you would see one of those two often. Right, right. 
Well, as the as the oldest person on this podcast, I will say that there is like something weirdly nostalgic about that subject matter because we, you know, when you're watching this show and you're alive in 1980 and 1979, your chief concerns in your life are nuclear bombs and oh, yeah. nuclear power plant meltdowns. I mean, these are very I'm right there with you. You might right? be a little older than me, but the the day after scared the shit out of me, man. Yeah. So all of this stuff is like, oh no, this is serious stuff. And mm-hmm. and and the debate about nuclear energy. Now, I'm not I'm not coming out pro or con. All I'm going to say is that having been alive and aware in 1980 and then being alive and aware 43 years later, and there haven't been like 50 nuclear meltdowns around the world. There have been, you know, there was Chernobyl, there Fukushima. was uh, Fukushima because of a uh, an earthquake. Tsunami. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was, yes, you would hope that any nuclear power plant could withstand any environmental threat. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm looking back and going, oh, that's kind of weird to think about the fact that there are there weren't a, there haven't really been a ton of nuclear power plant emergencies in the past 43 years that but at the we same know time, well <laughs> that but at the same time we've got i don't know if you guys know this but uh there's the fermi plant is the nuclear power plant here in michigan it's about oh maybe 20 30 miles away from me and we've got that i mean to your point richard we haven't had that many meltdowns to your point, Chris, that we know of, but why are we still so reliant on coal? Why weren't, is, is this time where they make them and then they just stop making them? Because I can't think of any time that another nuclear power plant has opened anywhere in the state. We just have the one and we're still burning coal like crazy folks. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, obviously in the energy world, there's huge lobbyists and huge political interests going back and forth. So I don't know the number of nuclear power plants, nuclear energy power plants we had in 1980 compared to the one, you know, if we have more, a lot more, no more, I have no idea. All I know is whatever that that particular fear is up until this day, right now when we're recording, has not manifested as, and we were right. It's a crazy fucked out industry that was poorly regulated. And we've had many, many Chernobyls. And and not only that, but I will say, and again, God forbid, but it is miraculous to me that there have been no nuclear bombs. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it, in wartime, in terrorist time. I swear to God, Richard in, is putting this energy out into the world and now it's going to happen. <laughs> oh, I know. crazy know. we haven't had a nuke go off? Right. This will be the again again the episode that historians listen to in the future. Bum, bum, you know. bum, the Robert B. Lee's right. name shows up and we're all fucked. Yeah. To but, answer but your I'm question, that, a a power plant opened in the United States this year. You're right. In Tennessee. Yeah. And the last time one opened was in 2016. Oh, also in Tennessee. 54 nuclear power plants operating in the United States, according to the eia.gov and the average age is 42 years old well and so there's there's still... that answers that question as well in a way okay but this guy um the, you know this the 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 character the the nuclear engineer who comes mm-hmm. in and and features in this episode as as sort of the opposing voice to the protesters of whom or or of which 
a Dietrich is a part, mm-hmm. he's like, it's totally safe, you know, and I brought a, here's some water from the nuclear power plant. This is the cooling water and it's totally safe. I thought they were going to do a thing where someone was going to have to drink some of it. They never do oh, that. Same. They make yeah. the coffee joke, but whatever. Anyway, um, but it's the atomic water and he's saying, look, it is totally safe. And, and, you know, it's better than gas. It's better than coal, which causes pollution mm-hmm. and wind and solar isn't ready yet. And it's funny because these are still conversations we're having. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, after I'm so surprised that we just haven't seen that influx because from what I understand, windmills cause brain cancer. So like people should just be dying left and right. Plus it's killing all the eagles and now it's even forcing whales to beach themselves. This has got to stop people. I mean, and then too, like with solar power, as soon as the, the sun goes down, everything stops. That's how it works, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know you're yeah. You're you're right, Mike. You're 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 really you're speaking exact, for a lot of very sane people. The exact time I want lights is when there are no more because solar right. power just doesn't work at nighttime. Yeah, when the sun goes down and you need a yeah. light, you can't use it because it. oh, your solar power isn't coming back for another um, you know, eight, ten hours. Right. So you're screwed. So do you want that or do you want brain cancer? Which is it? I think we missed our calling here, the three of us. <laughs> we can be very convincing for the wrong group of people, I feel like. Don't you see? The space lasers are powered by solar power. <laughs> we should we should just do a a left-wing radio show trolling idiot magas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we'll call it uh, Making America Great on every episode. <laughs> no, no, no. Chris. Magop. R- ranking on Trump. Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah, it's too on the nose, though. <laughs> Even for us, that's too on. <laughs> Isn't the name of the show going to be Ranking on Trump, Chris? Well, I guess it has to be now, really. Yeah. Well, I guess. okay. Well, you said it now. You put All that right. in. Right. Uh, speaking of Trump-like characters, I do like that Scanlan is a proper dickhead and will probably never not be in this no. show. Yeah. But he also is a nice counterpoint to how far Luger has come as a character because oh, there yeah. is a moment in time where these two could have interacted and it would have been like, hey, buddy, hey, pal. And like, it wouldn't have been what it is now, which is Luger says, nah, fuck you, dude. Like, right. hard well, but, fuck you, dude. Because he loves right. the people in the exactly. precinct that didn't used to be the case. Yeah. Right. But that's also, that's also traditional. Like, everybody hates, um, I, IA, internal affairs. Right. Everyone hates IA and AI. Let's just say <laughs> it's true. Well, that's, well and that's because they're also corrupt in the 12th precinct. That's why. Right. Yeah. It is funny that, you know, he walks in and just sees stacks of cash. <laughs> right. oh, yeah. I don't even want to know. And, and the guy <laughs> who's like, I'll pay you $50 to, this, <laughs> to, to, to give me a cup of coffee. Yeah. Make whatever. it 75. Right. I don't I even want to know. <laughs> Yeah, these were four very, very solid episodes. And like I said, I think this might be my most favorite two-parter because both parts are very solid and they just, they're two solid, solid episodes. I mean, I don't even know if they needed to be a part two just because we are crossing over into things actually really starting to follow from one to the other. Like I said, maybe that's Gnome. I'm not sure, but I really like this idea of being able to reference the previous episode and episodes even in previous seasons. Well, 
you know, what they did was, I don't know how it cut into the timing, but the end of part one was a preview of part two, Mm -hmm. which took up a minute or so of airtime. And then the beginning of part two was a recap of part one, not a traditional sort of cold open, which led into the opening sequence. So that, that eats up another minute or two of story time. So again, these were not two full separate episodes. They were each trimmed by a minute or two of flash forward, flash back. Um, They felt very married together. Um, They, again, like you said, very cohesive, interesting story, totally on character. It it didn't feel hyped up necessarily. Um, So yeah, we, we, we hit a good streak. And oh, by the way, and I wanted to say, I looked at the book and I'm so sorry. Um, Otto Bruno does not, um, rank this season low. I, I think it's this, I think you're right. I think it is the seventh season mm. that, that he began to sort of have a problem with it. Uh-oh. Um, in this, terms might be, of this might be the writing. peak, right? We might have yeah. peaked here folks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so in high school. I don't, yeah. I don't want to misrepresent uh, the great Otto Bruno. I've enjoyed the episodes where he's on. I hope you guys keep having him on. Uh, I'm a fan. I love this book. I, I thank God every day the book exists for people like me who are Barney Miller addicts and stands. So, um, so Mr. Bruno, I, I, I correct myself and I will not speak on your behalf again. I hope that Otto's listening to this episode with hearing just how much Richard is pleading to have him back on. Um, and have my book signed. I don't know how it would Oh, happen. wow. I oh, wow. Jesus I want Christ. it so bad. Yeah. I didn't back. even get my book signed, and then Hell, I got away from a, the author. Yeah, I've mine's got, not even a hardback. Mine's a guys, softback. What's this horse shit? here. Yeah. I bought, because I went on Amazon and bought the fucking hardback. Wow. That's I'm a out of my mind. fan. Yeah. About two of them. I gave one to Larry. Holy cow. Larry, Larry has one. Larry has Larry. one. Larry's got one. Oh. Fuck you, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Larry. Am I right? I know. Oh, that Larry. guy. That guy. Yeah, look at all the praise we're heaping on Otto Bruno's book. It's almost like you should go check it out at bearmanner.com. Oh, you should. Guys, bearmanormedia.com. It is. Fair Manor is completely Yeah, that's where I like to hang out on the weekends and have a lemon party. (laughs) Ooh, C N F M J O I, baby. Go to just guys, just go to bookshop.org and order it. You'll be fine. You ordered it off Amazon, though, Richard. Aren't you part of the problem now? No, I ordered it off Bookshop. I don't get anything from Amazon except for condoms. Wow. The look on what are Chris you buying? Huh? <laughs> because I don't know what you're buying that you can't get at the store, but whatever it is must be pretty pricey. I was just cock. trying to come up with something controversial. <laughs> what that's did all. You say? What did you say? I have to get my condoms from Norway. There's these special <laughs> ones. They're extra large. <laughs> they 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 make sure to accommodate all the way to the elbow. That's yeah, right. It goes, <laughs> they're the fist condoms. <laughs> When we come back next month, we're not going to be talking about fist condoms. We will be talking about the last three episodes of Barney Miller's season six. Possibly where we're at the summit of the mountain. We were not sure, but we'll be talking about the architect, the inventor, 
and fog. So until we come back then, Chris, what are you working on, sir? Just trying to make sure that uh, the prototype for my fist condom makes it through the initial test run. Uh, now you can find all the things that I work on um, at weirdingwaymedia.com. And if you're expecting them to be as exciting as fist condoms, they're just audio podcasts that you can entertain and enjoy yourself with while you fist. So uh, yeah, weirdingwaymedia.com is where you can find all the things that I work on. What about you, Richard Haddam? I am spending my days and nights helping my lovely wife, Susan Lambert, uh, do her podcast, 80s TV Ladies. I write the show descriptions, so I'm actually nice. involved. Wow. Was that allowed under the WGA contract? Oh, Yes, that was okay. Weirdly, that was okay. W- weirding way, that was okay. <laughs> Weirdling way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, 80s TV ladies uh, taking a look at uh, female-driven television from the 80s, both in front of the camera and behind. They're they're having a blast over there, talking to fan groups. There, there's a lot of Scarecrow and Mrs. King action going right now. Um, they're just they're just having a party over there. People are coming out of the woodwork, going, "Hey, what's this show?" and volunteering to be on. I don't know. It's 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 going crazy. So if you want to get involved in that party, go check out 80s TV ladies. Fantastic. What about you, Mike? Well, everything I do is over at weirdingwaymedia.com, which makes it very convenient. And I work on a couple other things, including a show called The Projection Booth. You may have heard of it. If not, definitely check it out, please. So you get to hear more of me just droning on over and over again. Until we come back next month, and uh, unfortunately, Richard will not be with us. This is just a a guest appearance. So until we come back, definitely uh, rate and review the show over on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Probably not Stitcher anymore. Sorry, folks. Shop's closed.